Well, it's good to have your Bible open in front of you. My name's Graham, by the way, if you're visiting today or you're back from gallivanting around Europe, some of you I know. <laughs> um, good to have you here and uh, welcome if you're visiting. Um, I'm one of the ministers here. We're, um, we're going to look at Acts 13, but I uh, encourage you to have a Bible in front of you. We're going to be mostly spending our time in Acts 13 and 14, um, but let me get a drink of water. There's also an outline in your bulletin that you might want to have open. And welcome too if you're watching from home. Great to have you. Mm. All right, let me tell you a couple of things that are, that are going on, though. Um, next weekend, of course, next Saturday, are these, these, these men's conventions. So it's not too late, but you've missed all the early bird prices. Um, <laughs> so next Saturday, going up to Sydney, there's a few of us going, um, about five of us, I think, going up to Sydney for the Base Camp Conference, and that's um, the top one there. There's some flyers out there. You need to register pretty soon, really. Um, and then there's the Southern Highlands Men's Convention, which is at Mossvale uh, Anglican Church, and that's also uh, from 9am, well, that's from 9am to 1pm. It's a bigger day, a longer day, and an earlier start, actually. Um, I just, I just realised that registration's at 8.30. We live two hours away, roughly. Do the maths, got to get up early that day. Um, anyway, be a great day. Both those two be excellent. Um, so I'm looking forward to the Mossvale people telling me how that went next, uh, su- next Sunday morning, I hope. Um, so that's a warning that I'm going to be asking some of the Mossvale people who attended how it went. I keep on looking at some of you. This is your warning. <laughs> okay. Um, the other thing I want to tell you about too is um, the Robo Daily Life came out this week. It's a week late. Sorry about that. Um, we just had some issues. That's okay though. This is basically sort of our prayer diary with some events put in, so, and it's a reading plan as well for our, our, our sermon series and individual reading as well. So if you want to be praying for your uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in, in church here, then um, uh, grab one of these and you know that, for example, um, this week, actually this week we'll be praying for, uh, well, as it t- tends to be, we pray for the A's. The A's always start off first and we get into a few B's as well. Yes, so, and then next week, some C's, mostly C's after that. Grab one of those, please. One last thing. We will start Acts soon, but I just thought I'd tell you some stuff while I'm here. Did you get this week's Southern, this month's Southern Cross? The answer is no, because there's a whole stack of them over there. So make sure you grab one. And there's, you know, I actually wrote something in it this time. How about that? There you go, I wrote a book review. I do read. It's amazing. All right. Um, I think we're done there. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you for um, your goodness and kindness to us. Uh, we thank you that you have given us your word. Uh, we pray now as we open it and read it and hear the great things that you've done in history, we pray that we would um, uh, trust you, trust your sovereign plan, your sovereign care, of which as Christians, Lord, if we have put our trust in you, we are part of that great plan. Uh, thank you, Lord, for today. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so have your Bibles open to uh, Acts chapter 13. That would be great. All right, well, Luke is actually, so Luke is the writer of Luke and Acts. He's, a, he's the writer of the, that history of the early church, which is Acts, and Luke being this biography of Jesus. Luke's reached a decisive turning point in this, uh, this story, this account of the early church, the history of the early church. 
in the, the mission of the early church. Following Jesus' prophecy to the disciples in Acts 1 verse 8, you might remember that, and you'll be my witnesses, he says to the disciples, he says to the apostles, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here's where we are. Here's our little map of Paul's ministry journeys. And today we're looking at Paul's first uh, missionary journey. And I don't know if you can see those lines, it's a bit small, but that's to give you a broader picture. Just so you know, for example, there's, you know, there's Italy, there's Greece, there's sort of modern day Turkey, right? There's Cyprus, we'll look at that as well. There's Crete, North Africa, all right? That's big picture stuff. Next little slide I'll show you is where we're heading off. And so I'll tell you more, I'll come back to this slide a few times, but that's over there, that's Antioch where we'll start. That's called Syrian Antioch because... It's in Syria, whereas there is uh, uh, Antioch in Poseidon, which we'll get to in a moment. That's because that's in uh, Phygra, it's called. Anyway, there's somewhere where we're heading. There's Cyprus, and we'll come back to that slide a few times. So here is, really, in terms of Acts 1 verse 8, here's the ends of the earth, you could say. First stop, Cyprus. Uh, No longer the church's mission was land-based. It was now going overseas right here's their overseas mission i don't know if you've been fortunate enough to travel overseas do you remember your first time traveling overseas Uh, i do um, and i'm not including tassie sorry about that but there no it's not overseas i remember my first time i was very nervous as i boarded the plane Uh, everything everything was new a very new experience it was very very loud very very cramped Uh, i remember a nervous uh, hearing this nervous passenger ask a cabin crew member, how often do planes crash? And, and she replied, just once. Um, that's not a true story at all, I just made that up. Um, <laughs> but here they are. So Paul's first missionary journey, no planes, no silly questions from the cabin crew. Uh, their first missionary journey, their first real trip overseas, you could argue. Um, we're actually, we, as I said, we're catching up with Paul and Silas, oh, sorry, uh, Saul and Barnabas at the start of chapter 13, and they're embarking on their first trip overseas. It's Paul's first missionary journey. Now, last, we left our last series, it was about this time last year, we were in lockdown, with uh, Saul, Paul, uh, and Barnabas spending over a year encouraging and teaching the word of God, encouraging the people, encouraging the church and teaching the word of God to this new church at Antioch, a Syrian Antioch. So that's where they've started. And now after uh, delivering gifts to the church at Jerusalem, now you can't see Jerusalem on that map, but it's sort of, uh, if I can go down a bit actually. So you can see Syrian Antioch there and then we head down to Jerusalem there. But it's not on the map on this one. But they've, uh, they've delivered gifts to the church at Jerusalem. So the Antioch church has d- delivered gifts to the church at Jerusalem to assist them in the drought at the time. So they've headed down there. Now they've returned to Antioch. This is all in chapter sort of uh, 12 and the, end, the start of 13. Uh, they've headed back to Antioch only to be sent out on mission to serve other churches and to preach the gospel just like they had been doing in Antioch uh, to do ministry. They're being sent out to do ministry. It's, it's a, it is a challenge. Uh, what a challenge this is to the mindset that a church should keep their best for itself and let God have the rest. Uh, we don't ever want to be a church like that. 
And the ascending church is a mission-minded church. I've got three questions that I'd like for us to have answered as we read through these two chapters. And as we think about church, as we think about mission, and as we think about ministry. These, I've got them on the screen for you there. First one is, what does Christian ministry involve? That's the, question, the first question we'll be answering. And two, what reception can we expect as we share the gospel? And three, why should we persevere in the gospel? I'm hoping these questions are answered really clearly as we go through. So first then, what does Christian ministry involve? It's point one of your outline there, the faithful, sensitive communication of the gospel. There's... Um, there's a number of examples of this over these next two chapters. And our first, their first step on this journey is on the island of Cyprus. Now, I'm fortunate enough that I've actually been to Cyprus and I've been to the ruins at Salamis where Paul preached and where Barnabas encouraged. Um, the, the, the ruins at Salamis are incredible. I, I think I might have even... Did I put a photo of that one in? I did. There we go. The ruins um, are incredible. That They are just like that, although there's no security whatsoever. Um, you could do anything with them. It's typical of that part of the world. Uh, I, um, I doubt, though, my memories are as positive as Paul and Barnabas's. I remember it was stinking hot and dry... Uh, the kids had had enough. You remember if you've, if you've had kids and you've travelled with them, there are points when they've had enough and you've had enough too. Anyway, I'm sure we spent more time eating overpriced ice creams at the kiosk at the end than we did by looking at any of the incredible ruins where Paul walked the streets, where Paul preached. I just couldn't convince the kids that this was important to stay and soak in. Anyway, that's my memories. I reckon Paul and Barnum are so Paul and Barnabas' memories would have been very, very different. So after the episode with the Jewish sorcerer, which Brooke read to us a few moments ago, and the conversion of the pro-council, he's a local Roman governor, this is what Luke writes. So look at Luke 13, verse 12. When the pro-council saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. What do we notice there about ministry? What do we notice about mission? First stop, Cyprus. We notice... This pro-council was a bit like a Roman governor, not quite as important. Um, he was converted not because of the miracle, but you see there, because of the teaching about the Lord. He heard the gospel and he was converted. First stop in his missionary journey, preached the gospel, he was converted. Let's find another example. Their next stop. Their next stop is uh, Poseidon Antioch. So you can see there from Cyprus, Cy uh, Salamis to Paphos, and all the way up there, a couple stops on the way, to Poseidon, Antioch, uh, via the port city of Perga. They arrive at the synagogue and are invited to speak, and Paul's speech uh, sermon is actually worth hearing in full. I'm going to get... Uh, Matt's going to come up in a moment to read it. But note that the whole sermon points to Jesus. It's a great sermon. Uh, it's Luke's summary of it, of course. He would have said a bit more... But notice where it points us. It's God's plan of salvation history, God's plan of saving his people, and it all climaxes in, the pre in, in Jesus. What's mission what does ministry involve in churches? It, it's about Jesus, the preaching of the gospel. All right, Matt, thank you. So we're starting at 13, verse 16. Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. 
The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who rules 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you, God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that, they are, that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, and if someone, if, even if someone told you. Thanks, Matt. I had contemplating asking Matt to dress up as Apostle, Saul, Apostle Paul, but we decided we wouldn't do that. Do you see where it went, though? Do you see the, the God's plan of salvation history and it climaxed in Jesus? What do we do about what, what's ministry about, what's mission about? It's about preaching the Lord Jesus. But let's go back to verse um, 38. Let me take you back there just for a moment. Notice that, therefore, as a consequence to who Jesus is, we are left with a choice. You see that? We're left with two ways to live. Here's the heart of the gospel. This is what uh, we present when we proclaim the gospel. God's way or my way. It's a choice between life and death. That's what the gospel is. 
God's way or my way. The forgiveness of sins in Jesus, justified, made right by his death and resurrection. And notice it talked about King David, uh, a, um, uh, the, the, the famous King David who decayed, he died, where of course Jesus is alive. But then we could go our way, and our way, well, we see verse 41, we scoff. And of course, if we go our way, we perish, as the prophets warned that we must not. Now, we'll come back to the reception the gospel received at Poseidon Antioch. Uh, it was mixed, for sure. But back to our map. Um, let's, uh, let's go to our next stop. Our next stop is uh, Iconium. So that's just over there. You see that? That's where he heads off next, uh, heading east, Iconium. Let's notice, even in the midst of strong opposition, in 14 verse 3, they spoke the word boldly. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there in Iconium. They spoke the word boldly. It's another example the pattern of ministry continues in Lystra and in Derby, and again you can see it on our map there, uh, and in the, the countryside surrounding. So come with me to verse 14, verse 7, uh, where they continued to preach the gospel. You see the priority of ministry. You see the priority of mission as they head out. Let me read you a little of the, the um, extraordinary events that happened at Lystra. So come with me to verse 8 of chapter 14. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the, in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from worthless things to the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What does mission involve? What does ministry involve? Exhorting people to turn from worthless things, idols, to the true and living God. Uh, let's, let's keep reading and see and notice how Paul responds here as he proclaims the gospel. He meets people where they are at. You notice that? He meets them where they're at, where, where they're, they're thinking. The same can be said about in the synagogue too. He uses this wonderful this plan of salvation history, takes them back to the New Testament, takes them to David. Well, here as well. He meets them from where they're at. See verse, we'll, we'll go from verse 15 again. Uh, Verse 15, find it. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You see, meeting them where they're at. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in, the, in, the, in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart, hearts with joy. Although verse 18 sadly says they still rejected Paul's message. 
No doubt Paul wondered how, he, how would he present the gospel in this context? How would he do it uh, in this context of all these different gods and this context of um, the, the naming of these different gods, Zeus and Hermes and so on? How would he present the gospel? How would he present the gospel to where they are at? I want to give you a bit of an example uh, from uh, today. Many people today, and I think especially young people, the, the, the search for identity is, is where they are at. That is the issue of today, really, in terms of young people particularly. Uh, so how do we speak the gospel into the life of a young person who is struggling with uh, the very, very sensitive and emotionally charged topic of transgender? That is my cat. Unbelievable. Hello, if you're watching at home. My cat just walked in. Unbelievable. Is that door open? Anyway. <laughs> That's the second time. One time the cat did come in and the cat came in the drum kit, so at least it didn't get that far. Um, sorry about that. Now, the really important question the cat walked in on, uh, maybe the cat was interested, I don't know. How do we speak the gospel into um, the life of a young person who's struggling with gender issues? Because that, that's the topic of today, folks. That's it. How do we speak the, speak the gospel into that? Particularly transgender issues. What do we say? Now, um, issues of sexual identity, uh, gender and so forth. What does the gospel say in that space? So this is not, a, not, a, not anywhere near long enough as an answer, um, but it's my recommended. Well, it's, it's what I'd say, put it that way if I had the opportunity, and it does come up from time to time. I want to start by saying God cares about your feelings. First thing, he cares about your story. He cares about your emotions. In fact, God knows us. He knows what we love. He knows our fears. He knows what makes us sad. He knows when we feel like we don't fit in and when we wish things would be different. God knows the Bible also says that God created everything through Jesus. It's from John chapter 1, verse 3. Through him all things were made. Jesus made you. Now, Psalm 139 says at conception that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Just as you are, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Genesis 1 says we are made in the image of God, which means we, are, just as you are now, we have dignity, we have worth, we have value because you're made in God's image just as you are now. That means that you are not a mistake. That's what I say. That means you are not a mistake. But we live in a world that's not perfect. Uh, we live in a world that's, uh, the Bible calls it, it's a fallen world, affected by and stained by sin. That means we've stopped listening to God as best as we should in fact we've stopped listening to each other and this means we don't always well that then that affects how we feel about ourselves that affects how we feel about others and how we relate to others all that is stained by sin it's not perfect this means we don't always think rightly about ourselves sometimes we make mistakes about how we think about ourselves and our identity and for some of us, all this makes life really hard. It's really tough. 
But there's good news. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. Just as you are today. With all your struggles and all your worries. With all your stuff-ups. With all your imperfections. He loves you that much that he died for you. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> That's what I'd want to say to someone who's, who's where, where they are at when it comes to those issues of, of gender identity and transgender issues. Uh, yes, slight tangent, but that's, I think, what Paul does when he, goes, when, he, when he preaches the gospel at Lystra. And you notice, um, I finished with the gospel. I finished with Jesus who died for us, uh, for our sin. Uh, Paul at Lystra is another example. Okay, so let's go back then. And if you want to, we're going to have a Q&A as we usually do at the end. You might want to jump back and ask me a few questions about that. But let's go back to Acts 14. We're, we're finding examples where the gospel is preached and mission and ministry because that's what ministry is about, the gospel being preached. So following the events at Lystra, well, they head across to Derby. And so you can see Derby. Where's my little laser pointer? There's Derby. Uh, and, well, we skip some action and we're going to come back to that. But in verse 21, uh, and I'm hoping you can see again the pattern and priority of ministry, the good news of the gospel. Have a look at verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, sort of backtrack, um, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. What's at the heart of ministry? The gospel, preaching the gospel. Christian ministry means preaching the gospel. It's the solid foundation that all ministry is built upon. And in practice it means, we can see it in verse 22, strengthening the disciples in the word of God. That's the heart of gospel ministry. Hopefully we're doing it now. Strengthening the disciples in the word of God, it means encouraging the church to remain true to the faith. So number one, Christian ministry means the faithful, sensitive communication of the gospel. I did add that word sensitive because that's important, isn't it? It's important to be sensitive and not be a, be a bull in a, you know, a china shop. Uh, Peter writes the same thing, the Apostle Peter. He, 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 I'll put it up on the screen for us. He tells us that um, as we share the gospel and give a reason for the hope we have, we do it with gentleness and respect. Let me read that for you. But in their hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to, for the, to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Okay, so yes, Christian ministry involves the faithful, sensitive, gentleness and respect communication of the gospel, but with it, well, where promised opposition will come. Jesus says his followers will be hated simply because of him uh, and his message will be hated because Jesus was hated so Christian ministry involves opposition and the messenger will be opposed. Uh, so this is point two in our outline. I'm going to speed up a little bit. Um, Newton's law of motion says, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. So this is illustrated when we step off a boat and onto the shore. Have you been in this situation before? It's distressing. Um, we move towards the shore and the boat moves away from the shore. Uh-oh. And it's graphically demonstrated a number of times in YouTube fail clips. Look them up later if you like. Um, now, spiritual laws are mostly consistent with physical laws. But here's an exception. We can call this the first Christian missionary's law of motion. 
For every action, there is always an opposite reaction. However, such a reaction is never the equal of the initial action. Still with me? No? This is what I'm talking about. That is, the gospel will always be opposed. It will. But such opposition will never succeed. You see? The gospel's spiritual power is supreme, making it unstoppable. All right, let's look at a few examples then of this opposition to the gospel and those who speak it in these chapters. Let's go back to Cyprus again and remember the sorcerer Elymas or Bar-Jesus, our first example. Let's go back to 13 verse 8. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. But of course, as our Christian law of motion tells us, to no avail, the proconsul was converted. But you could argue the opposition to the preaching of the gospel was more intense at Poseidon Antioch. So let's flip over there to chapter 13, verse 45. Uh, After uh, preaching his sermon, uh, Paul was actually invited back again. Many Jews and Gentiles wanted to hear more, which is great news, isn't it? In fact, the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. That's pretty amazing. But verse uh, 45 of chapter 13, find it myself, here we go, right at the end of the speech. When When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the, uh, the word of the Lord, and, honored the word, and, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leaders, leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. See, where the gospel is preached, there will be opposition. Opposition will follow. Christian ministry involves opposition. I want to give you one last example here back in Lystra. Uh, go, we're actually heading back again to chapter 13, verse 19 and 20. Sorry, that's actually chapter 14, 19 and 20. 14, 19 and 20. Uh, then some of the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. We think it's the same Jews in Poseidon Antioch. They've followed them all around. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. <laughs> the next day, he and Barnabas left for, um, for Derby. I, 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 wonder, uh, I wonder, does this resonate with you? Opposition to the gospel. You might be thinking, come on, Graham, let's be honest here. Uh, I haven't been stoned for the sake of the gospel. In fact, I don't think I've even had anything, any physical threat against me at any point whatsoever. Well, that's good. What a blessing that is. Uh, Most of us have never been physically threatened or threatened 
because of the word of God being proclaimed. At the end of Paul's life, so sometime after what we're reading here, uh, probably a couple of decades, he writes to a young Timothy. Uh, Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus. And uh, here's what he wrote about those events. He remembers those events in Acts 13 and 14, which we're reading about. He says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions and sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Friends, I'll be honest with you, uh, I've wrestled with this passage, I think, most of my Christian life. My life is mostly free of persecution. I've never been thrown in prison for the sake of the gospel. Uh, No one's ever beat me up for the sake of the gospel. Uh, My life is mostly free from from persecution. So I look at that and I think, am I living a godly life? Do you think that? I hope so. You ought to ask that question. Am I living a godly life? My life's pretty easy. Or do I shrink back when opposition comes? When I'm questioned, maybe at work, maybe at home, maybe at the club, wherever, do I shrink back when society insists on another direction, another worldview? Do I shrink back? The writer of Hebrews challenges his readers and says, But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. In fact, we persevere. And that's the third aspect of what's involved with Christian mission. As God's church, we persevere. As God's people, as God's children, we persevere. So it's the last little point in our outline. We're going to do this pretty quickly. Uh, we find out why in a future. Why do we persevere? Uh, I've given you some more examples in your outline that you might want to um, follow up. But I think the one that stands out most is at the end of the Lystra example, which we read a moment ago. Paul is stoned, he's close to death, he's dragged outside the city, but the disciples find him, they gather him, gather around him. I imagine they pray for him. I imagine they tend to his wounds. Uh, stoning was horrific. Uh, and uh, most people don't survive. But he does. But what does he do? Talk about perseverance. Maybe stupidity, I don't know. But he gets up and he walks back into where they just stoned him. Isn't that amazing? For the sake of the gospel, why does he do this? Why does he persevere like that? They persevere in ministry because they know, friends, that we know that despite opposition, we are co-workers with God. God will see his purposes fulfilled. God is on our side. This is the unstoppable gospel. Even with all the persecution that was going on, crowds and crowds of people, Jews and Gentiles, were turning to Jesus. It is indeed why we persevere, because the truth of the gospel, because the gospel is, is, uh, Jesus is, the, is the, the winning captain on the winning side. Uh, let's see how Paul and Barnabas summed up their first missionary journey when they returned to Antioch. It's at the end of chapter 14. 
uh, 14 verse 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door, opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Friends, as we proclaim the gospel as God's church, we will face opposition. And if we don't, I imagine, I wonder if we're living a godly life. But we must persevere because God is working. He's opening doors. He's fulfilling his purposes. Uh, Friends, please don't be a passenger when it comes to ministry, when it comes to mission. Don't be a passenger. Jump on board. We are co-workers with God as we proclaim the greatest news of all time, and that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Probably a lot more to say. I reckon we finish there, and I'll pray, and we'll see if um, anyone's got any questions or comments. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for uh, your, the good news, the greatest news of all time, that you sent your son, Jesus, your only son, to die for us so that we can be forgiven, justified, made right with you, no longer enemies but friends, and so that we can have life eternally with you. We can have life after death, eternal life. Uh, Lord, we pray as your church that we would present that and proclaim this gospel clearly, would be a light on a hill. Lord, that we would know that opposition will come. And Lord, we'll also persevere because we know this is the greatest news of all time. We know that you are working. We know that you are with us and, and, uh, and on, we are on your side. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your, your kindness to us. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.